caught with straight shots and then pop bottles. Yeah. Flirt with the hood rats, then pop models. Uh-huh. Caught with yeah. straight shots and then pop bottles. Yeah. This is one night stand. What up, night fans? It's Tuesday, November 27th. UCF just completed their second perfect regular season in a row with a 38-10 beatdown of our rival over to the West. But obviously, it, it came at a very high price. I'm here with... Money Moo, what's up, guys? That high price was our starting quarterback, Mackenzie Milton, going down with a very serious knee injury in the second quarter. It was not on my side of the field. I was on the complete opposite side, and I wasn't too sure of how serious it was. But then I, I quickly realized that, that this was very, very, very serious. Yeah, I was in the end zone, and I, I wasn't that far, but I didn't have a good angle. Obviously, I didn't show replays, but you could tell quick when, you know, Charlie Strong was out there next to him and people from both sides, trainers and players, started to crowd around. Just not something you want to see, obviously. I, I don't even really know where to start. It stinks, but we got to try and move on. And I think the best thing we can do is rally together as a fan base really support this team as they try and win this one this week for McKenzie. As a f- we need to rally as a family. Correct. You know, for real. I I just anytime I see someone outside of Orlando in in UCF gear, you know, I always make it a point to go up and talk to them or say at least say go nice cuz I feel like UCF is a family and I think that Josh Heupel has instilled those family values into this team where they really consider each other their brothers. And when one of their brothers goes down, you need to rally around them. Yeah. And it's hard. I, I We're like speechless still. I, I just can't like. Yeah. I, one thing I do want to say, though, is, I mean, I'm just really glad he's okay. As passionate of a fan as I am, when I found out how severe the injury was, it kind of just football, it just takes a back seat. And you're just you know, just praying that he's going to be okay. And it sounds like he will be. I think it could have been worse. You know, luckily they had some really talented surgeons at a close hospital, Tampa General. And I don't want to talk about or speculate about the specifics of the injury or anything like that, you know, give him and his family privacy at the time. But, you know, we just, like you said, got to rally together as a family and support this team as they try and finish the job. You know, obviously we wanted to have two straight perfect seasons through postseason, but now it's a whole nother purpose. We got to do it for KZ. Yeah, and this really, like you said, this really isn't about KZ, the football player, anymore. It's more about KZ as the person, KZ as, you know, the human being outside of football. The great person I've never heard a bad thing about this kid. You know, I haven't been able to meet him personally, um, but just, you know, seeing him on social media, seeing him how he conducts himself in interviews and, you know, through campus interactions, he just what a great kid. And it just, God, it sucks so bad, man, that this had to happen to him 
It, re- it really, really does. And you're right. I have never heard anything negative about him at all from anyone. I've heard that he'll wait, you know, when he comes out of the locker room at home games, he'll take a picture with every last fan that's waiting there for him. Even it takes over hours sometimes. And I mean, he's just a great kid and it, you're right. It, it just stinks. But I know this, that he is a huge competitor. And I know that he would want his brothers and his fans and Night Nation to rally together and get these last two for him. So let's finish the job. Let's finish the job. For him. I don't know if you saw Heupel's press conference today, but Heupel said, you know, when he got to KZ at the hospital after the game, one of the first things he said to him was, what was the score? And, I mean, that just kind of shows... He's always, you know, like a team first guy and his selflessness kind of shows with that. I mean, geez, he just had a surgery and, you know, a gruesome injury. And, you know, one of the first things he asked was what what was the score, which is just, you know, it really speaks to the kind of person he is. And then Heupel turned to him and said, we stomped those assholes. Yeah, we did. (laughs) We really did. Uh, So let's recap that, you know, while we're talking about it. Matt came in and I mean... We just dominated him for the rest of the game. Yeah, this kind of got lost in the box score a little bit and in people's minds is we were only up 7 to nothing when when this when McKenzie went down. The very next play after McKenzie went down, which was a third down turned into a fourth, Matty Wright had to come on for a 42-yard field goal attempt. A 42-yard field goal attempt in college is anything but automatic. Yeah, that's tough. And I don't know how you can clear your mind, you know, anyone that was in on that play, I don't know how you can focus. I mean, obviously, this is what they do, but if we botched that play, I wouldn't have, like, been upset or surprised or anything. I could barely hold my phone. I was shaking at that point, trying to get some kind of update because, again, I didn't see a replay or anything, but I could barely do that. For those kids to go out there and to do that, I mean, that just speaks to, to how awesome our team is, you know. And I feel like that kind of gave us a little hope at least to me, because he drills the long field goal and it's like, all right, you know what? We got to win this one. We just got to stick together and fight like one family. So obviously the play calling changes a little bit with Daryl Mack in rather than Milton. Heupel decided to go a little more run heavy and that turned out to work because the free Greg McRae campaign that I started (laughs) at the beginning of the year turned out to be a pretty big hit Greg McRae 16 carries 181 yards three touchdowns and total team rushing was 391 yards I can't remember a time that's that maybe like back in the Kevin Smith days like 05 06 07 but that that was a really great rushing performance and you know Matt showed some promise in the passing game too you know obviously no one's going to be as good as Milton, but I, I think Mac did as well as he could for the situation that he was thrown into. Yeah, definitely. You know, he dropped a dime to Snelson, who tripped over that crappy field they have. That would have been a touchdown. And, you know, the way the game went, it's not like he had to, like, make any throws or anything like that. We just, you know, we kind of just kept doing our thing and, and scoring almost at will. And they couldn't stop the run, so we didn't really have to pass. I mean... McCray put up another video game stat line, averaging like 12 yards a carry, three touchdowns. He's really good. And, you know, uh, Mac completed a couple passes when he had to. He ran the ball really well. 
And that's something that kind of adds another dimension to our offense. Obviously, KZ's always been a good runner, but Mac is a guy that's always a running threat, whereas KZ's, it's almost like a changeup that they're not expecting. Mac, I would say, is a powerful runner, and he is impressive. Anytime, you know, he's hitting the line where normally would be, you know, a one, two-yard gain, it turns into a three, four-yard gain just because he's falling forward, always like I think McCray does. He did take a few deep shots as well. There was one that he definitely connected with Snelson, which was awesome. Should have been a touchdown. There was another one that was on the money to Nixon, but there was a really good defensive play made by the USF defender. He knocked it out at like the last it was on the it was up on the sideline and he just knocked it out at the last second. So nothing you can do about that. Yeah, so I think overall for the circumstances, I think Mac played pretty well. Yeah, and we'll talk about this in our interview later, but I mean it's not like he had any practice or anything. This is way different from when he's been thrown in either, you know, in the fourth quarter, you know, playing against and with backups and with the ECU game where presumably he had, you know, most of the week to to practice and get ready for this. I mean, this is like, hey, man, grab your helmet, you're in. So I think he did really well considering the circumstances. Yeah, and I feel like, you know, Josh Heupel, through the games this year, we found out that he's definitely not a run-up-the-score kind of guy. He's a win-the-game kind of guy. So I feel like when they knew he was starting, and only they knew he was starting, throughout the week, they weren't going to say, hey, take this and just go put up a bunch of points. It was kind of like, hey, let's just get you some playing time, you know, go through the motions a little bit, and we're going to beat East Carolina no matter what. So, yeah. you know, just try a little bit of different stuff. And I'm thinking back, like, obviously we had no idea this was going to happen to Milton, but thank God he had some, like, more reps yeah, and playing time. that It just made me feel a lot better about Mac going forward. I wasn't worried, and I think everyone in my section and the two around me heard me say, we're fine, like a bajillion times. But seriously, we're fine. Relax. We're good. Mac is good. And we'll talk more about the game this week later, but we're going to be okay. All right. Let's talk about Let's, let's, talk, let's about, talk about the defense. Let's talk about the defense. So 10 points against. This has been back-to-back weeks now that the defense has woken up. Yeah. But honestly, I think they've been playing a lot better than people have been giving them credit for for most of the year. Um, I feel like we only hear the negative stuff about the defense. When the defense doesn't give up a lot of points, we just praise the offense for beating them down so bad. But you're right. The defense has been lights out these last two games against decent teams. USF puts up a lot of points. So does Cincinnati. I mean, this is not two inept offenses. No, this isn't UConn or anything like that, which I think is a really, really good sign heading into this Memphis game. Another takeaway I got from the defense – how about when the non-starters, it was like the second and third string people got in on USF's last drive, three and out, three sacks in a row. Like, <laughs> how cool was that? I don't think I've ever seen that before in it a game. It was awesome. Boom, 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 bang. Get out of here. Richie Grant picking off his fifth pass of the year. He leads a team. He'll definitely get some all-conference honors. But just collectively as a whole unit, you know who had a really good game too was Pat Jasinski. He was our highest-rated player per pro football focus on all of the defense across the board, run stopping, pass coverage, everything. He looked good. I mean, besides that little Darren Sproles guy in USF, their entire team couldn't do anything. Yeah, they were rough to watch on offense just because I think our defense played so well. Another takeaway I got was much lower penalties 
Only five penalties on UCF for 34 yards. I don't have the exact stats in front of me, but I know we've definitely had a couple double-digit penalty games for over 100 yards. So it was good to see a more disciplined team out there on Friday. Definitely. Pretty much all aspects of our game, offense, defense, special teams, penalties, tackling, everything just looked. It was just a really well-rounded game. The second one in a row, which is just awesome to see it finally all coming together at the end of the season. I mean, you forget... It's not that easy. You know, I know we went 13-0 and last year, but when you come in, have to learn a new offense, you got a new defensive scheme, it's not that easy. It's not a seamless transition like people think. You know, just because we did so well, no one even really expected us to go undefeated this year. We definitely had some kinks. We definitely almost lost a couple games, but it's all coming together right at the perfect time heading into Memphis this week, which really excites me. One other thing, how about the attendance? What would you estimate the ratio of UCF to cows was? I think it was close to like 50-50. I was going to say like 60-40, but... Oh, 60-40 us? Yeah. Oh. I have a video I'll tweet out. I was was pretty surprised at like how many people they brought. You couldn't see. You were on the UCF side. Yeah. That side was definitely more black than anything else. Unless, Unless they were all wearing like really dark green. Maybe that's what it was, but it definitely... I mean, I was mostly sitting around all UCF people. Yeah, and that side was more crowded, it looked like, than the USF side. At least... There's only, like, these two drunk guys in front of me, two USF drunk guys that... They didn't really cause any trouble, but the whole game, all they did was, like, bitch about how bad they sucked. Well, I mean, (laughs) rightfully so. Rightfully so. I didn't have the nicest people around me. One kid tried to knock my sign out. And he apologized, but then he tried to get in a fight with DJ Pav next to me, so I kind of had to calm them both down. And this other lady, a couple seats to the right, then like I tried to jump over her at one point, which probably wasn't the best idea. But whatever, I was trying to get the sign on TV. So, you know, move or get out of the way, right? Well, yeah, that kind of sounded like your fault, but whatever. Yeah, maybe a little <laughs> bit. It was on McCray's touchdown, and I was actually in the row behind us, and I had to jump like diagonal. Anyway, whatever. Uh, anything else you want to talk about? How was tailgate, by the way? Thanks for stopping by, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Um, thanks for. Well, you could have stopped by my tailgate too. You know, you got there like two hours before me. Okay, yeah, I'm just gonna roll my two kegs over to your tailgate. Why not? You make some friends <laughs> along the way. <laughs> anyway, no, it was it was definitely a good time. It, it's actually cool out there because it's kind of like unregulated, which makes it fun. You know. Yeah, I didn't mind. I didn't mind the tailgate. The parking was easy. It was kind of a bitch to get out, but I just waited. Yeah, we waited, so there was, like, no cars left after yeah. the game because we stayed in the stadium for so long. But, yeah, I definitely like the unregulated. I'm not a fan of Memory Mall, the regulation of Memory Mall and all this nonsense. I am a fan of Memory Mall. But well, it makes it nice because, you know, because they only, you know, they have that center row that keeps all grass. You can't put tents all in Memory Mall. That makes it cool. Uh, having the spots and everything, the organization's nice, but... I don't know. It's just annoying that you can't like have kegs and stuff out there. Yeah. Most efficient way to have beer. But you know what? Whatever. It, obviously, Memory Mall is a bajillion times better than having to drive halfway across the city yep. into the middle of the ghetto <laughs> to go to an NFL stadium that's the exact opposite color of your jerseys. So I'm not really going to complain. But the tailgating there was fun. All in all, good time. After the game, uh, I took a little nap, Uber to the casino, made a couple grand. So I'm definitely happy about that. Popped in the strip club. It was like all UCF people. <laughs> and then I just went back to the casino. So good times. 
Yeah, I didn't do much. Went back to the hotel, and then we went to some Korean restaurant. It was actually really good. I got to find out what the name... I totally forgot what the name of it was, but if I'm ever in Tampa around there, I'm definitely going back. Cool. Good to know. All right. Let's talk about the Memphis game this week. This is, I mean... Bum, bum, bum. The fourth time in like... It's 446 days, I think. 446 days. I'm so tired of this freaking team. Think of how sick they are of us, though. They they lost every time. I know. (laughs) I mean, we're sucked, but it's just like... It's kind of like if you have like maybe like the same like filet mignon steak dinner like three days in a row, and you're like, oh, I'm sick of this, but it's not the worst thing. This is like they got beat down three times in a row. They're actually like really, really, really sick of us, and especially probably their diehard fans that are having to make their... Third trip to our stadium. Oh. All right, so I, I've I've figured out how we can win. You want to know how? Uh, I think it's we number score, one. score more points. No, no, that's like the John Madden oh. response. Stop Daryl Henderson. That's it. You well, stop yeah. Daryl Henderson. Force him to give the ball done. to other people. Force him to pass. I agree. You know, obviously, like it or not, I, I hate to say it this way, but this is the beginning of the Mac era, at least for a little while. And... We'll get more into this later on our interview, but I think we're going to be fine with him. What do you think? Oh, absolutely. I I have way more confidence in him after the ECU game and especially after the USF game. You know, he led this team, and it's a team. It's not just one person. Correct. Mackenzie Milton was one of the best quarterbacks in the country, but this team is one of the best teams in the country the seventh best team, according to some people that don't really know about college football. but We'll talk about the ranking later. <laughs> I like the seven ranking. I think that's fair. I mean. Well, we've been ranked seventh in the AP and the coaches. We're not sure yet of this recording what we're going to be in the college football playoff, but I'm assuming seven. It should be seven. If you look, I at, can't see it being any lower. So if you look at the breakdown of AP voters, I use, I look week by week and for a while, it was distributed. There'd be like 10 people voting for 9, 10 at 10, 10 at 11, 10 at 12. This week, there's only like 7 people that didn't rank us number 7 and like 40 that ranked us number 7. The, the the rankings have kind of become really clear. It's almost unanimous, like the top 10 or at least the top 7 where everyone's at. And we'll talk a little bit more about the playoff and the rankings later. But let's go back to Memphis. Like right, you said, Memphis. we stopped Daryl Henderson. So what does that force him to do? Either give the ball to other people, or make the quarterback well, throw it. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They also have another good running back, Patrick Taylor. Well, they, only one guy can hold the ball at once, though. I mean, that's true. But here's the crazy thing. Memphis, when we beat him, that was their third conference loss, and they really had no chance whatsoever of making it to this game. It just so happened that Houston like fell apart, and they got lucky with a couple of, of games at the end. Everyone lost in the, in the West Conference, or the West Division, sorry. Here's a few here's a few things about Memphis though. Looking at their schedule, they've only beat one team, one team all year with a winning record. And that was Houston without their starting quarterback who accounted for over 50 touchdowns before he hurt his knee. They're 8 and 4. Here's their 8 wins. Mercer, Division 2, Georgia State who's 2 and 10, South Alabama 3 and 9, Yukon the worst team in the country, one and eleven, East Carolina three and eight, Tulsa three and nine, SMU five and seven, and Houston without their starting quarterback eight and four. So, tell me where they beat a good team, or even a 
even an okay team. Well, I'll tell you when they almost and probably should have beat a really good team, and yeah, that's when sure. we, that's sure, when but they we didn't. played them. But I, they didn't. I know, and but that game was close. Besides that, and I think that's why, as a fan base, we're all kind of worried about this game. But if you look at the big picture, I mean, look at the points they give up on the road. They give up like 40 to Tulane. They don't have a defense on the road. And I think we get ahead and we force them to go into a negative game flow where they have to throw the ball a lot, put the ball in Brady White's hands. He's not good, and I think that's kind of the way we can win it, which is what we said before last game. But last game, they had home field advantage. They had the momentum. They were all amped up and stuff. And I they think had the, gonna... wet, the weather was a huge factor, too. I know you're at the game. How cold was it? It was pretty cold. And, I mean, you know. And wasn't for... it raining? It, it rained in the second half, which actually I think they slowed down. Okay, slowed so the, down, for... but... the forecast I checked for Saturday, Orlando, definitely December 1st weather, nice 81, <sighs> mostly cloudy. Look, home field advantage, we realized, well, we didn't realize, the country realized that our home field advantage is worth a lot more than most other people's home field advantage in that Cincinnati game. Yeah, the Cincinnati game was insane because that is a good Cincinnati team, and we made them look like the JV squad. Yeah, seriously. I mean, we held them to zero points in the second half of the first game that we played them against. Yeah. You know, this is the number five rushing team in the country, although UCF is now number six, so... There's going to be a lot of running the ball. A lot of runs. And especially with no Milton, it's just going to be run, run, run on one side and run, run, run on the other. Although hopefully, hopefully we do throw the ball more, and you'll see why I say that a little bit later. Um, But yeah, I agree. Let's talk about some other stuff. Uh, Someone tweeted out a bunch of stats, and I think we've got some of the highlights of them here. Let's talk about turnovers. This is something you said in our season preview, our first podcast, that... You know, last year we were really good in turnover ratio, and that's something that we could regress this year and could end up costing us games. But No, I almost said that it is definitely going to regress, and it was why we were probably going to lose one or two. And I, I, I was actually being nice. I didn't want to say that, but we haven't missed a beat in terms of that. I mean... Nope. I don't think we're as good as last year, but last year was just like off the charts. But still, we're number two... In the na- second best in the nation in turnover margin. We have 25 takeaways. We've only given away the ball nine times. Yeah, so on average, we're getting the ball twice back per game, and we're giving it away less than once. Memphis, however, is kind of middle of the country. They have 17 takeaways, and they've given the ball away 15 times. Brady White, the Memphis quarterback, has also been interception-prone, throwing two picks in each of his last two games. UCF is also number three in the nation in fumble recoveries. And what happens when you run the ball a lot? You fumble. I really, really, really like how we match up. If this game was in Memphis, I wouldn't be saying that. But we're at home. Home field advantage is going to be great. We're going to rally together like a family. Fan base, the team, everyone is just going to be amped up. And I think we win this game by probably 30 points. But you have to show up. This yes. is it. This is the last this is it. The last home game. Like you're gonna be looking at this like two weeks from now and be like, Oh crap, I wish I should have gone. If you don't go because I can't go to another home game until, you know, September. If you don't go to this game, you will regret it for the rest of your life. No excuses. And honestly, if you weren't gonna go for whatever reason, football aside, do it for KZ, man. This kid has put his heart and soul into our school over these last three years. You know, we don't know what's gonna happen. 
but it would mean the world to have that place packed, everyone wearing a lay and just rallying around this team as we, you know, like I said before, finish the job. Yeah, just one last thing I want to talk about with Heupel's play calling and the transition between Milton and Mack is that one one would think that our offense could want to maybe slow it down for the redshirt freshman. Here's the thing. In the USF game, we didn't slow it down one second. When Matt came into the game, we were up 7 to nothing. After the quick field goal, it was 10 nothing. We had four touchdown drives with Daryl Mack. The approximate average of our touchdown drives with Milton were all under three minutes. You know, there was a ton that were like 58 seconds, you know, minute this, minute that, two minutes this. It's, it's been going on all season. Here are the four touchdown drives that Mac had. First one, one minute, 14 seconds. Second, one minute and two seconds. Third, 53 seconds. And then when we were up 31 to 10 with eight minutes left, Decided to run the clock out a little bit. Had another touchdown drive of 5 minutes and 38 seconds. Which is pretty much the same. It's just instead of running up to the ball and snapping it, we use the whole play clock. This offense only knows one speed. And whether it's Mack, whether it's Milton, whether it's whoever. Quadri they're, Jones. They're going to go fast. Speaking of Quadri Jones, I don't know if we get into this with the Monday mailbag, but what are the chances that we see Quadri Jones in the game in any position? Go. Um, I'd say 80%. I mean, we really, did, we did last game and if it's not, on what some- if he just like comes out in the first possession and then, you know, Eric Kohler's like your quarterback is Quadri Jones. That's not going to happen. Is everyone in Memphis just going to go, who? Huh? Yeah, probably. But here's, here's the way he, I think he will get in the game is when we're up 40 to 10 with five minutes left in the game yeah, that's and true. Max, you know, Max I mean, Quadri throws dimes too. Isn't that like an infinite QBR, one of one for like a forty-yard touchdown? Yeah, he underthrew him by like ten yards, but whatever. He didn't have to put it. <laughs> he didn't have to put it on the money because the guy was uh, Killens was wide open anyway. All right, so let's go back and talk about the rankings a little bit. We've already said you know we're seven in the AP and coaches poll. More than likely going to be seven in the college football playoff. Let's touch on this real quick. What are what is our path to the playoff? at least from what what I think. Um, we've got three teams we need to win, Northwestern over Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship. We need Texas over Oklahoma in the Big 12 Championship. And we need Alabama over Georgia in the SEC Championship. So that would mean the four, five, and six team losing. And then obviously us, at what I think is going to be number seven, beating Memphis, sliding us into the fourth spot. What are your thoughts, Moo? I think it's very, very possible, and I don't know how we ever got to this position for the beginning of the year, but somehow, some way, there is a very, very clear path right now, and this is not impossible at all. So the biggest thing is going to be Northwestern taking down Ohio State. I think Ohio State played a really good game last week. This is definitely not the way they've been playing a few weeks ago. However, oh god, I go back to that stupid Maryland game a couple weeks ago. Like, if Maryland, you know, they were down one in overtime versus Oklahoma, right? No, Maryland versus Ohio State. They had scored a touchdown, oh, down one in overtime, and all they had to do was get this two point conversion, and we wouldn't be talking about Ohio State anymore. Dude goes back for a pass, has man wide open, just like throws it into the ground. 
like way over his head or something. Yep. And honestly, I'd be feeling like way better about our chances. Yeah, because that's probably the toughest game is the Northwestern over Ohio State. Yeah. Texas beating Oklahoma, that's like pretty much 50-50. Didn't they already beat them? Yeah, they yeah. did. Okay, so they just have to beat him again. Right. It's a Red Red River run or whatever. Red round River two. Red River rivalry. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, and Alabama beating Georgia, cake, pretty much easy. But dang, you're right, man. That's if what I'm saying. That's stu- we it might could l- be we might not be in the playoff, and all we have to yell at is that one freaking Maryland. Conversion. That's who we have to blame. Is damn Maryland. So, say these things happen. So here's a little trick I like to do when possibly approached with an important game. I like to bet on the stuff that has to happen. So in case we make that game, I have a bunch of money to spend on good tickets. Perfect. Example, if Northwestern, Texas, and Alabama win and UCF, I think we're going to make the playoff. So I'm going to parlay three of those games. I'm not going to do Alabama because their odds don't add that much. But if you do a $100 parlay on... UCF money line, Texas money line, and Northwestern money line, $100 pays 3000 Now, that's a bet I'm going to take because if those ha- things happen, more than likely we're going to make the playoff. And if we don't make the playoff, then I just have a bunch of money to blow on our you know Peach Bowl game or whatever. So I think if those three things happen, it's 100% we're in. 100%. I, I, Dude, there's c- no way. They're pu- there's they're not no putting way. A, are there even any two-loss teams behind us? I think everyone has like three losses yeah, now. Yeah, everyone has three losses, I think. You can't. Come on. And obviously, well, Michigan only has two losses, but. Yeah. Well, we have to be. I think we also have to beat Memphis well, though. And yeah, that, we can't be. The, none of this like one-point win against Memphis. No, so. it's got to be a beatdown. We got to show the world that not only was the game at Memphis earlier a fluke, but we're just as good with Mack at quarterback, and we can compete in the playoff because – that's one thing I could see the committee saying is, you know, you maybe we put you in with Milton, but not with Mac. So we need to convince them that we're just as good with Mac at helm. Right. Like, I could see if Oklahoma and Ohio State lose and Georgia loses, but maybe they only lose by a field goal, and then we only beat Memphis by a field goal. They put Georgia in. They, might, they might put Georgia in. Yeah, because everyone wants to watch Alabama and Georgia for the third time yeah. in a year. Anyway. Uh, so, yeah. Hey, uh, Number one, number one is us winning first. So correct. It's just cool that we're talking about like a legit three, four team scenario right now. Like who would have thought? <laughs> yeah, like before there was like ten million different things that had to happen for us to even have a chance, and here it is, right here. Well, like, just every week, a few of them started to happen. But the only thing that we can control is beating Memphis. And we actually, I say, you know, oh, we can speculate, but we actually, as a fan base, have control over this by showing up. And being loud, as loud as possible on every single down when Memphis is on offense. It affects the game. We'll go back to the Cincinnati game. The first two plays of the game when they had the ball were penalties because they couldn't hear a thing. And we need to be louder than that this game. Sacrifice your voice for the team. Yeah, you guys heard You don't how- have to be loud net you don't have to be loud the week after. You have until the twenty ninth or whenever the pl- first playoff game is to recoup your voice. Yep, so show up, be loud, and we're probably going to say it like eight more times on the podcast. All right, so let's get to our interview. Uh, We have one of our friends of the show, Anthony Squintz-Lenahan, football analytics guru, and we're going to talk about Daryl Mack. We're going to talk about, you know, Memphis on both sides of the ball, and uh, he kind of, he charted 
everything Max done in both games where he played meaningful snaps. And, uh, you know, we're just going to get a, a nice little statistical outlook on some trends and stuff like that. Um, so let's get to that. All right, we're here with our favorite guest on the podcast, Anthony Lenahan, a.k.a. Squints. Uh, what's going on, man? Nothing much. Uh been a long, uh, actually a pretty short season. It's gone by pretty quick. Uh, looking forward to Saturday for sure. I can't believe the regular season's over already. It really did go by fast. Yeah, it flew by. I mean, the amount of football I watched, I guess, made it go by really quick. But Yeah, especially when it's winning and you got something really nice to look forward to every week. <laughs> that is true. All right, anyway, so let's dive into this. Where should we start? Let's talk about Mac first. You know, obviously, he came into this game and played most of it, and we didn't seem to have trouble scoring on offense. But I know you praised him after the ECU game. How did how did his performance versus USF this week kind of compare to that first game where he played on the road at ECU? Well, first of all, I mean, ECU, I think we all assume that he was practicing with the ones all week. I think everybody inside the team knew that Milton wasn't going to play, or at least probably not going to play. So Mac definitely had a lot of reps and kind of a little bit of a game plan tailored towards him. Correct. And last week he was pretty much just thrown into the fire, which he probably barely practiced with the ones at all, I'm assuming, and whatnot. So it was a little bit of a different entrance. But I think he played all right. I honestly... I think he played better against ECU, but ECU also probably has a lot worse of a defense than USF. And I'm kind of looking forward to seeing how he plays against Memphis in a game that they're actually going to need him to play well. Because ECU, they could have beat with anybody playing quarterback. And USF, I mean, the defense dominated the game, so they really didn't need to put up points. So I'm very curious to see how he's going to play this week. Yeah, me too, definitely. Um, and that's a good point. I didn't think about that. It's tough to compare that first game with him to last week because you're right, he did just get thrown in there. I mean, probably took a couple warm-up throws on the sideline, and that's it. It's like, hey, man, go get it. But I think it's a really good thing he had that game under his belt because he, he seemed you know, not very nervous and was pretty much ready to go. No, for sure. And I think he's kind of like Milton personality-wise where he doesn't really get caught up in like in the head and – too nervous and he's kind of like very energetic and positive about everything yeah I mean he's from everything I've seen it looks like he's just going out there having fun uh which you're right looks definitely a lot like Milton so let's talk about this matchup versus Memphis I think you know and we're going to talk about this a little more on the podcast but besides the game versus us Memphis doesn't look like they're very good how do you feel like we match up against them this time well, I, I I plan on finishing their entire season on offense. I haven't gotten to it yet, but I haven't watched much of them since that game. I did watch a little bit of the conference, um, the game against Houston. I think they're a much different team on the road than at home, just based off like looking at their numbers, raw statistics, and stuff like that. And obviously, going to they're going on the road to UCF next week, but. Just having Henderson and Patrick Taylor and Tony Pollard all are really good running backs, and Pollard's unbelievable out of the slot as well. He's like o- he's sure. like Otis, kind of. Yeah, he. J- but they actually let Pollard run the ball out of the backfield, unlike Heupel. <laughs> I don't get into that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, just the running game is always going to scare you no matter what, especially with how well they did against UCF running the ball last game. 
Um, so what do you think, though, we'll have a little bit of advantage because we've already played them once, though, and we, we kind of know what we're going to get? Because, I mean, they gave us everything they had, and it was almost too much. Do you think we're going to be a little more ready coming into this game, or, or how, do your th- how do you feel about that? Uh, I think they should be. Um, I think Memphis does stuff on offense that UCF doesn't do well against on defense. Uh, they run a lot out of 12 personnel, which is – two tight end looks and they will run out of 22 personnel too with Pollard as a wide receiver or running back. And UCF has really struggled against that. Uh, against Cincinnati, I think they ran 25 rushing attempts out of 12 personnel and they were successful on 18 of them, which is just an incredibly high number. And out of 11 personnel, they're pretty much in the low forties, which is really good from a defensive perspective. So I think you're going to see a lot of that. In the first half against UCF in the first game, Memphis, I think, ran 21 plays out of 12 personnel, and they only ran three of them in the second half out of 12 personnel, which, I mean, I think we all know that they scored 30 points in the first half and only and not in the second. So It was like night and day. I, I think that worries, um, worries me from the defensive side of the ball as well as in the first half, they uh they let White get in a little bit of a rhythm, and he's not really a good quarterback. I think if you saw against Houston or any of the other games, he's just he's just really not that good if you get him in obvious passing situations. But with the way that they run the ball, it's hard to get him in passing situations. And they like to attack the middle of the field and use play action, which are two things that I've noted that UCF's defense really struggles against, especially middle of field passing. Right. So let's go back to – UCF on offense for people that I guess don't really know that much about football what's the biggest difference for our play calling when we have Milton in the game and Mac in the game because the obvious thing that stands out on the box score is Mac's rushing attempts but are those designed runs or like QB keepers or or I mean him scrambling broken plays or, or what's that look like so I have I only had I only put together the ECU and USF games because I took out like all the fourth quarter garbage time snaps that he played in because I don't really see those as meaningful snaps. Nope. I have him as he ran 13 plays on designed options or read options. He's been successful on 38% of those. And he has 55 yards before contact, 21 after contact, and four missed tackles. And he has a 5.85 yards per carry. So that just leads me to believe that they're just coming in situations second and long or third and long where – Heupel doesn't really trust him to throw and wants to run the ball. Could lead to it because the 5.85 yards per carry is pretty good and a 38% success rate is pretty bad. So that's what that leads me to believe. And then QB draws, he's run 12 designed QB runs, and he has a 67% success rate on those. So he's been really good. Uh, I would say the biggest difference just from a non-smart football perspective is QB draw, you kind of – have a little bit more momentum running the ball without having to read and stuff like that because he has 42 yards after contact on QB draws and only 37 before contact. So he's clearly getting a little bit more momentum and a little bit more speed and a 6.58 yards per carry. So he has 25 designed runs on the season, which uh, is a good amount for, for the amount of snaps he's played. Right, for just a, only, a game and a half, yeah. And he only has three scrambles. Um For a really good running QB as he is and somebody who you kind of would look at, I guess, as a run-first QB, 
he loves throwing the ball in the pocket. I think the only two pass attempts that I think he's thrown outside of the pocket were against USF last week on RPOs uh, on the second scoring drive he had. Right after USF scored their touchdown to cut it to seven, they ran an RPO to Snelson and then an RPO to Kulubiali back-to-back, and then McCray had the 31-yard TD run kind of get them back in rhythm. So those are the only two plays that I think that he's thrown from outside the pocket. And Right, that's interesting. You think running quarterback kind of associate that with, like, bootlegs and stuff, but that's interesting that he mostly stays in the pocket. Yeah, and he's taken some big shots uh, against ECU. He, a couple of his downfield passes he got absolutely destroyed on and just stood in there and took hits, which is, I mean, he's a big guy, so you, you like to see that because especially with young QBs, you kind of think, like if you saw Milton his freshman year, he was doing anything he can to get out of the pocket right away. Right. Well, Max also got like 50, 60 pounds yeah. from Milton back yeah. then. He might have like 60 or 70 pounds on him. For sure. That's definitely a big difference, but right. still. So besides running the ball, then what are Max's biggest strengths that you've noticed from these two games? Uh, he's been a great downfield passer. Um, he hasn't thrown a lot of downfield passes, but I think it's going to be a really big factor this week and then hopefully in the New Year's Six Bowl. Uh, I have him only five downfield pass attempts. Two were accurate, but then – so for accuracy, I only – I count completions. If they're accurate completions, you could have an inaccurate completion as well. And then drops, so – he also has two passes, the one to Nixon last week uh, against USF where the defender knocked it away at the last second. Um, that was a really good throw. It just was an even better play defensively. Right. And he has a couple more. He has he had another overthrow of Nixon in that game. I think he missed him by one or two yards. And then he overthrew Nixon once in ECU in the end zone. And then so, Snelson had that drop in ECU too, yeah, right? That was one of those. And then he had two pass interference calls on deep passes against ECU. One was once again an absolute dime to Nixon. He dropped it. I think it was like a 45-yard pass downfield. He dropped it right in between his hands, and he got his arm grabbed by the defender. Um, and then he had one to Gabe that he was open, and Mac got hit by two guys, and he underthrew him like crazy. But that was probably the one – deep pass that I would say he didn't throw well. Um, but if you look at uh, the men in the box against Mack, he's faced six or seven guys in the box nine, on 91% of rushing attempts. So guy, they're loading up the box against when Mack's in the game, which leaves, I mean, nobody's covering Snelson, Gabe, or Nixon one-on-one deep in the AAC. It's just not going to happen. They're too good of receivers. So if they get max protection and safeties bite up on to stop the run, which they've been doing, these guys are going to be open downfield the whole entire game. That's what I want to hear. That's that's awesome. That's exactly why we want to have you on this podcast. Another thing to note about Mac's passing, he's thrown 16 passes between either behind the line of scrimmage or within five yards of it, and he's been accurate on 14 of them, which is pretty good. But his intermediate passing, he's been really bad, and he's like four for eleven between six and fifteen yards. So if you know, if you remember from last year with Frost, a lot of like bubble screens and quick throws to running backs and stuff like that, passes behind the line of scrimmage. We're going to see a lot of that, hopefully, with um, 
hopefully Otis is healthy. We're going to see a lot of that and RPOs. A lot of a lot of last year's offense, I think, is going to be what's successful with Mac at QB. I, I definitely feel a lot better after talking to you about this. Do you have anything else to add? Anything else you've noted? I didn't get a chance to read your article yet. By the way, if you're listening, he just put out a really good article. I'm assuming because all the other ones have been good. Uh, breaking down, I think, Daryl Max first two games. Uh, but is there anything else you want to add that we didn't cover? I mean, I think play calling is just going to be a huge factor. Uh, I think off the top of your head, if you just watched the games and didn't look at any of the plays or anything, wouldn't you say that when Max come in the game, Heupel's gone like extremely run heavy? Yeah, definitely. I looked at they have 18. Max had 18 drives on in games within two scores, either winning or losing, because they were down to ECU by three points, I think, early on. Uh huh. They've gone run on the first play of the drive 13 times and only thrown five passes on the first play. And on the five passes, they've been successful 60% of the time, and three of those have led to scoring drives, while only 38% of the drives with runs have led to scoring drives. Um, So we need to pass more. That's the bottom line. Teams are going to stack the box. On non-scoring drives, they've 46 plays, 29 have been passes, and 17 uh, 29 runs and 17 passes. So you think you probably want to see that closer to 50-50 to be more successful? Oh, not even. It's more of like first downs. Like on scoring drives, 21 of 13 of max 21 passes will come on first down. I think this offense relies a lot on like getting in a rhythm, and we even saw with Milton. When they would have a couple, one or two uh, unsuccessful runs on first down, they would usually go three and out, and it would be a really ugly possession. I think we're it's the same thing with Mac. If you look at last week, the throw, uh, the t- two RPOs led to the McCray 30-yard run right there. And then the, the bomb he threw to Snelson, McCray had a 30-yard run right after that. The running game kind of comes when the defense gets a little disorganized and a little tired. And I think the passing game has to set that up. Throwing wide receiver screens and swing passes to running backs with wide receivers blocking downfield is basically just an extension of the run game. It's just it negates the guy, the seven in the box. Right, it gets him into space quicker. And on when UCF gets behind in the chains on these eighteen drives, they've had thirty six plays of second or third and seven plus yards to go, and they've ran the ball twenty four of those. Which that's, that's going to lead to the lower running back success rate that they have with Mac. And it's just, it's pretty much Hypel saying, I don't want you to force anything and turn the ball over, so I'd rather punt. Eh, that's fair enough. I mean, if we can control the game like that, I guess that's not necessarily a terrible thing, but I would like him to let Mac uh, kind of let it rip a little more. We'll see what happens now. I mean, he's going to have, you know, double the, the reps with ones that he's had all season after this week. Sure. So it'll definitely and be interesting. Another thing to note, Real quick, I just pulled this up on Excel. I completely forgot I had it. On play action passes, he's completion percentage is 28.57%. On non-play action passes, it's 72.22%, and he's been accurate on 83% of those passes. I don't know why. Yeah, that's backwards. I mean, <laughs> It's just something that is the case, and it's something that could be true. It's a small sample size, but... Or, or it's something that could know. be fixed during practice. I mean, that, that seems kind of weird. Yeah. But anyway, you got anything else you want to add? 
Uh, I don't believe so. All right. Uh, well, thanks I'm again for forward to this game. Yeah, man, I can't wait. I'll I'll see you over there. We'll have to meet up for a beer by the cabana. Uh, definitely. For sure, I'll be there. I'm flying down on Wednesday. All right, dude. Uh, sounds good. Good night. That interview was brought to you by no one. We're actually looking for sponsors. So if you own a small business or have anyone in mind that you think would be a good fit for our podcast, shoot me a tweet. Let us know because we're definitely interested now. We're approaching over 10,000 listens on the year, and that number is growing every week. So if anyone has any ideas or if you think you'd be a good fit as a sponsor, let us know. All right, now it's time for Swag of the Week. Last week's winner... Lee Corso in a landslide for saying shit on college game day. <laughs> shit Corso. And obviously the full mascot reveal making college game day history right here at Memory Mall at UCF. I still can't believe that happened. I know. It was like, it's like the whole day. Not just one thing. Like I didn't, it was unbelievable. I knew it was a big deal, but I don't I don't think any of us knew how big that was gonna be. Like and I forgot like the different stages and just it, the whole thing was a huge production. I mean, yeah. If you missed it, literally, shame on you. The only way you can ever redeem yourself is by coming to the championship game on Saturday and, and we're, cheering your ass off. And, and where are they? All right. So swag of the week this week. I think we got to hand it to Daryl Mack for coming in. I mean, almost a seamless transition, taking over the offense. Didn't miss a beat. Blew out our rival. I mean, we forget. You know, this is a USF team that's still is winning the all-time series 6-4 to four against us. And they knew they could mess up our perfect season and our you know possible Petra Fiesta Bowl. They were coming out and giving us our best shot, and we just kind of shut them down. And, you know, Matt comes in with almost no warning, uh, you know, leads the team to victory. So good job, Daryl Mack. Yeah, and I believe this was our biggest margin of victory in the series. I think before it was 16 points when we shut them out 16 nothing a few years back. Yeah, but, for for us I mean, it was. This was a straight beat down. Like, this was incredible. It just sucks that it was you know bittersweet because of Milton's injury, but still, I mean, yeah, I, you know we we can't we can't help that. There's nothing we can do. But the only thing we could do is just come out and finish the game as strong as possible. And I think we did that. You know, we can control that. So, if there's any silver lining, it's that. You know, like you said, biggest margin of victory for UCF over USF ever. And, again, awesome turnout by the fans. That was yeah, just awesome. it was. Man, can I say, too, they're fans, man. They are the only word. I was thinking of a word to describe their fans, and I, I think I finally came up with it. Trash. <laughs> like, oh, my God. It's just, I could, I honestly, I told my wife, I was like, if our kid ever wants to go, go to USF, like, put him up for adoption. Or yeah. something like this is just the the most disgusting school, the most horrible fans. They stink. I feel bad because not all their fans are like that. Some of them, mo- maybe most right. of them, but there's ninety nine percent. There's one percent of the fans that are would, fine. Come on, dude. Sure, I, whatever. Like maybe twenty percent or something. No. But that sucks for them, you know. But hey, guys, you know what? If you're out there, if you're listening, not too late to switch. We'll gladly take you to black and gold. You just got to throw out all your green stuff. So, all right. So let's get to our Fab Five. This week, we're going to do our five favorite UCF Conference Championship games because we have five of them to talk about now. Crazy. USF still has... Zero. (laughs) And hopefully a sixth after this week. So why don't you start it off? 
All right, the Fab Five UCF Conference Championship Games. The first one here, 2017, last year against Memphis, the 62-55 UCF win in double overtime, sealed by a Trey Neal interception at the one-yard line, maybe something. the goal line, something like that. But it was in, it was right in front of my section, like unbelievable. I couldn't believe he caught that, and just the freaking cannons went off with the black and gold confetti and the most points scored in an any conference championship game of any conference in college football history and it was just an incredible game it went back and forth back and forth all game long we were down like 10 at one we were point. down 10 in the third i believe and they had a chance to go up i think two scores again with the field goal and then we blocked it and then it was called back and then they missed it and yep. oh man it was crazy and what do you know that same memphis kicker is still the memphis kicker this year so uh. could be some could be some turmoil in the air. And then, obviously, the thing to note, that interception caught by Trey Neal was forced by Shaquem Griffin coming in hot off the left side, unblocked, full speed, absolutely levels Riley Ferguson. He sees him at the last second, just kind of throws it up right into Trey Neal's hands. He falls. And I'll never forget that picture with his arms spread out, and then just everyone jumps on top of him. And I just remember, you know, when that game got to overtime, I knew the whole time I had him, like, Dude, Peach Bowl, Peach Bowl, Peach Bowl. We cannot go this far and not make it to the freaking Peach Bowl. And we were close. And by the way, I still remember too, the play before that, he overthrew a receiver right in front of my corner of the end zone by inches, and that would have sent it to triple overtime. Yep. So Possibly. Who knows? At that point, they could have went for two and one, and then oh, everything would have been oh, over. Oh, man, I always forget about that. How many times, you know, 24 games in a row, how many times have we said, oh, if they just would have done that one thing, like the whole thing's over? Yeah, it's crazy, but normally, the way football is, that evens out 50-50, and somehow, that's only like... Except with us. Except with us, so, um, man, what a crazy ride. All right, I'll take the second one here. I'm going to go back, way back, to 2007... Our first year in the bounce house, we played Tulsa. This is our second conference championship game for our first conference championship. This is Conference USA days as well. Big time. Um, We beat Tulsa 44-25. The game wasn't close. Me and Moo were in the front row of the student section. I'll still never forget after the game, Kyle Israel took like a victory lap and like shook our hand. And, you know, me being like 18, I was like, ah, oh, this is the coolest thing ever. <laughs> uh, now he's on our podcast, which is cool. Uh, Kevin Smith, who finished, what, like eighth in the Heisman or something that year, ran for almost 300 yards, almost broke Barry Sanders', Barry Sanders' record for uh, NCAA rushing yards. He had four in touchdowns. He had four touchdowns, and then uh, there was that punt return that you mentioned before where they panned you on ESPN going absolutely berserk. Joe yep. Burnett running it back. If you, if you want to see how good the TV quality was in 2007, just YouTube Joe Burnett punt return, and it's there, still up there. Yo, you know. these freshmen were seven years old when we were at this game. Crazy. Crap, man, we're old. Yeah. Not 30 yet, though. Oh, well. we're not, we are not 30 <laughs> not yet. yet. Well, I am next week. <laughs> Whatever. Well, a, a early birthday gift, hopefully a conference championship win. All right, what's your next one? Oh, nice. You gave me this one. So 2013, <laughs> there was no championship game. I think this was the first year that the Amer- it was the American, possibly, yeah. But obviously, this is the Fiesta Bowl year, so who cares? It was just the team that finished highest in the ra- in the uh, standings with the most conference wins. I think this was an undefeated conference 
record we had that year. Only loss was to South Carolina. So this was our third conference championship. And yeah, so then we took it took it to Baylor with uh, Bortles and Storm Johnson and company. Yeah, we beat number six Baylor in the Fiesta Bowl. Easily beat them. It was a high-scoring game, but it was never close. One thing I want to add, though, this was not like any other conference championship because this was the American Conference, but it was really the old Big East. They still had Louisville. They still had Rutgers. They still had... Somebody else. Someone else that they still had that left. And this was a BCS conference at the time. This was before the quote-unquote P5. So that's why we got the automatic BCS bid. We were not a G5 champion or any of that crap. We won a BCS conference and got an automatic bid. And then, obviously, we lost that the next year. So, anyway, that's a whole other podcast. We'll get into that in the offseason about why we don't like our what happened with our conference. That was the year we had a nice win at Penn State, 34-31. Yep. And which look- I can remember watching that game. Where were we? We were, some, we were at some sports bar or something. Leroy Selman's yeah. in Fort Myers. We had that. We had the Louisville comeback. We had... I mean, the only game we lost that, that was year, the year of the come. That was the year of the crazy the comebacks, car, the cardiac nights. The only game we lost that year was to South Carolina, who ended up number six in the nation, who are a really good team. And if you look back on it, with those kind of wins, I mean, we, you know, if it was playoffs, we might yeah. have been in the mix back then. But anyway, also got to remember that season, Houston, the crazy fourth and goal stand by the defense at home. We had J.J. Wharton with the catch at Temple. These were all like back-to-back-to-back weeks. And then USF. Almost beating us, even though they were like three and nine. This actually came up on my timeline the other day, was that we were 27-point favorites. I thought we, I thought this past week we were the biggest favorite in the series against USF. However, in 2013, we were 27-point favorites against USF. I think they were like four and eight or three and eight. And we only won twenty three twenty. It came in our house, and it was, it was, the whole game was close, and then we, they almost scored a touchdown, but like fumbled out of the end zone. And we got yep. it back, and it was a touchdown pass from Bortles to Perryman near the end, and then we needed a pick by Jordan Ozerites <laughs> to seal the deal. That's a, that was the guy with the hair. That he's like yeah, the redhead. Kinda, yeah. yeah, crazy, crazy season. All right, I'll take the next one. Two thousand ten, we beat SMU. 17 to 7. We were leading 17 nothing with 7 minutes left in the fourth, so the game was really never close. We had Latavius Murray, who's on the Vikings now, leading the way, along with Jeff Godfrey at quarterback. He switched to wide receiver later in his career. And then obviously, and then ending the season with UCF's first ever bowl win. And this wasn't just against anyone in the Birmingham Bowl. This was the Liberty Bowl versus Georgia. A stacked team. They had AJ Green, and we beat them in a very, very boring game. What was it? Ten to seven, I think. Ten six. <laughs> Ten six. You know that UCF team was just loaded with NFL talent, though, and that was really kind of the beginning of a new era here at UCF, where we showed we could play with the big boys. Yeah, they also had Josh Robinson. Uh, I'm not sure where Josh was drafted, but he's definitely played. He's in the, pl- he was playing in the NFL for a while. He is on the. Jaguars now, I oh really believe I don't know. Yeah, he's he been was on, playing for the Vikings for a while. He's kind of a journeyman, but also Charlie Hewlett, long snapper for the Browns, who are on a little bit of a winning streak, two in a row. Also a friend of the podcast. 
But anyway, yeah, I mean, that was our first bowl win. It was cool. It was against Georgia. And that was just a, a really fun season, kind of the, the beginning of UCF going from, like, being good in Conference USA to UCF starting a show we can run with teams in major conferences and obviously showcasing that the next couple years after that. All right, what's our last one? So the last – oh, you stuck me with it again. 2014, no, it- again, no championship game. <laughs> However – to win the conference, or we, this was actually a share. We shared the conference title, but we, we'll still count it. People don't know that. Right. So the final game, if you remember, was against East Carolina. We were down six. This was the quote-unquote Hale Perryman game that gave us the win. Uh, East Carolina thought they had it. We all thought they had it. I'll remember... This was your birthday, dude. I remember we're closing our tabs at the bar. Oh, yeah. Everyone's mad at us because it's like, it's way late. I think this was like a Thursday game or something. It was really yep. late. They wanted to close. Yeah, we're it was the, a Thursday. We're the only people left in oh, the yeah, bar. Oh, yeah, it was on my birthday. Closing our tabs and like almost, almost leaving. And I'm like, dude, you know what, man? Maybe we hit this. Throws it up. Paramed mosses over three defenders. Well, two that jumped, one that was like laying down because he thought the game was over and took yeah. his helmet off. And uh, yeah, happy birthday, Moo. <laughs> yeah, so start of the fourth quarter. I remember we were dominating this game too. Start of the fourth quarter, we were up 26 to nine and they scored three touchdowns in a row. They're up 30 to 26. They give us the ball back. And Justin Holman from his own 49 yard line throws a bomb up to Brashad Perryman. Who, yeah, like you said, I mean, it was basically three defenders. and One of them turned around and took his helmet off. The other two jumped, but it was over them. And Perriman got behind him. And, dude, I just remember freaking out. And every, people at the bar at Stupid Bow Campers were like looking at us like we're crazy. I'm like, dude, this is what happened. Yeah, it was pretty nuts. Although, <laughs> even though we did win the conference that year, the we, we oh, made it to lost, the bit, lost in the freaking the bitcoin bowl <laughs> in st petersburg never forget the bitcoin bowl i remember being there surprise it was against nc state surprisingly there was a ton of nc state fans yeah at, at the game they got a big alumni base and um, it's a bowl game you know it's not just any away game that's true so anyway kind of a sour note that game uh, sucked to, to end that season, but it was still a conference championship, and there's our five. Yep, and then we took that momentum right into 2015 and went 0-12. But... <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get to our next segment. It's our favorite one. Money Moves! Picks of the week. Much better this week. Yeah, well, I actually have a voice. All right, guys. Last week, we were 2-1. and one. Not too bad. Uh, we're, our winners were, of course, UCF and Memphis. Those weren't even close. Our only loss was Pittsburgh. I said it last week. <laughs> I bet on Miami three times, lost every time, and the first time I bet against Miami, they freaking win. So we're just not going to touch Miami ever again. That brings my overall record to 25-17. and 17. Very respectable, 59.5%. For those of you keeping track at home, ESPN expert analyst Chris Felica, Chris the Bear Felica, his season total, I forgot to update it after last week, but his current season total is 19 and 19 and 1. So Get out of here. Yeah, some expert. All right, what we got this week? I think I can guess one of them. All right, so this week, there it's championship week. Let's go. 
there's really not a whole lot of games. So instead of giving you three picks, I'm only going to give you two because I just give you winners. I'm not going to give you any crap. All right, number one. Should I save this for last? Oh, there's only two, so I guess it really doesn't matter. Let's take... We got to do it. Do it for Milton. Yes. UCF down to minus three versus <laughs> free. Memphis. Free. Ladies and gentlemen, this is an absolute no-brainer. I understand that this was the same spread or close to the same spread when we played the last time and we had Milton. However, we've said it before. We're at home now. The forecast currently that I said earlier is sunny and 81, maybe 80. And well, huge difference. Yeah. <laughs> can we fact? Can we get a fact check? Oh, I'm guaranteeing, and don't make me wrong in this one. I'm guaranteeing the fans will be even louder than the Cincy game. I this, don't see any reason why we can't be. There's no reason we can't. Listen, be. this team plays like a family, and they're playing for Milton. They are not going to let him down. Our defense is peaking at the perfect time, and we have plenty of film on Memphis now. I want everyone to go back and read the article from Anthony Lenahan about Mac and the East Carolina game. And then you can read his other article about him from the USF game. But just trust trust us on this, guys. Milton will be for sure missed by the team, but we will not lose this game. Dude, I agree. All those reasons are now, great. Who runs to run, run through a brick wall? <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. We can't lose this game not because it's not an option because it's actually not possible there is no way we will lose this game and i'm not guaranteeing it or anything i'm just saying i just can't it just won't happen between the fans and the team getting riled up i just don't see a way it just doesn't seem possible oh god there there i was thinking about this yesterday they're probably going to film like a little video of milton or something and he's going to show up on the jumbotron and then i'm just going to lose it yeah yeah, I mean, I don't think there'll be a dry eye in the stadium. And you know what's going to happen after that? We're going to freaking rally, and we're going to get so loud, and we're going to get so hyped, and we're just going to go out and beat the pants off of Memphis and finish the job. I've been saying it all week. That's my hashtag for the week. We're going to finish the job. I think we win this game easily. And on top of that, here's another little loophole I found. So if we win this game, we're going to end up in a bowl game. If you want to have good tickets, they're going to be expensive. But if you just bet a bunch of money on this week and we win, then your tickets are half price for the bowl game. That's what I did last year. Put a thousand bucks on us. We beat Memphis, covered the spread, use that money to get good seats for the bowl game. So just saying, obviously, if for whatever reason this method doesn't work out once in a while, uh, you know, you lose then a couple you're bucks. Poor and sad. No, but don't <laughs> bet anything you can't win. <laughs> so hold on. So if we win and cover the spread, if we're we, d- we're definitely going to a New Year's Six Bowl. Yeah. Even if it's not the playoffs, we're definitely going to the Peach or Fiesta. Hundred percent, no doubt. Yeah. If we lose, I'm then s- if we lose, I don't then care you about- lose all your money and you're sad because we're probably going to the Birmingham Bowl. Okay. Honestly, if we lose, I don't care about five hundred dollars I'm betting in this game. That's and true. plus, I'm just playing with. I'm playing what with. What are the, we gonna carry? What is life if we lose this exactly. game? Exactly. And honestly, I mean, I'm up so big from the casino last week that I don't even care. I'm playing with you know the Indians' money or whatever from the Hard Rock, so we're good. Yeah. So anyway, that's kind of something I like to do. Bet on UCF this week. It will make you some money. No, it's a good strategy. 
I, I just again, I can't see how we can lose. I don't see There's it. no way. I don't see it either. I mean, I don't see anything that could happen in this. Like, it, it, even if we were down a little bit, like, it, not that we wouldn't be able to do this before, but now, like, we just have so much emotion ready to use and. I don't even know what I'm saying. They have no they don't deserve to be here. Memphis does not deserve to be here. They have no business even being in this game. They really don't. Much less winning it. This, is this a, was supposed to be Houston all year long. Houston was supposed to be here. And they just got We're not going to let them steal this away from us. They're not, this is rightfully ours not, this championship. Ours this is for Milton. It just I just don't see it happening. All right, I guess you know we're kind of beating a dead horse here, but I mean that's just how strongly we feel about how well we're gonna come out and just dominate Memphis. I think this game, I don't see it happening. I don't see us not covering at all. This is not going to be like the last two Memphis games. Score prediction? Did you say one? I definitely didn't say one yet. Forty-seven ten UCF. Oh man, I was gonna. All right, well, okay, I'll I'll go with thirty-eight ten. Do like a all right. another USF game that just another thirty-eight ten. I don't think we can put up. I don't think we're going to want to put up that many points. The defense isn't giving up more than one touchdown. We have in the last nope. two games against teams that are better than Memphis. So anyway, all right, right. Okay. Calm, calm down. down here. All right, we only have we've got to save some energy. We only have one more pick left. All right, let's go. What do we got? All right. So just to recap. Make sure UCF minus three. All right. <laughs> Second pick is Texas Longhorns plus seven and a half against Oklahoma. Look, the Oklahoma defense, people talk about how bad the UCF defense was at the beginning of the year. The Oklahoma defense hasn't held an opponent to under 40 in the last four games. Four games in a row, they've given up 40 or more. Not to good teams either. No, Kansas. And yeah, Texas last week they beat Kansas only by seven points. But this is a three-loss team. Texas is a three-loss team where two of their losses were at the very end. They could easily be a one-loss team, and they can smell this upset. They already beat them once. They want to ruin their season again. The, at this point in the season, you can't fix Oklahoma's defense. <laughs> like they're tired, dude. They're bad. They're gonna show it in this game, and it's just a given. Like, there's no way Oklahoma's winning this game. I agree. I, I mean, I think Texas wins it straight and, and if they up. win, but and if they win, maybe they do. But, you know, seven and a half, dude. Like, That's a lot. Texas has a lot to play for, and Oklahoma's just, like, barely getting by the last few weeks. They, so. they ain't going to go nowhere and if they make the playoffs. Alabama will drop 100 on them in the first game. Yeah. So... Just get it over with quick and easy. Lose to Texas this week. You know, like I said, I'm taking Texas money line, parlayed with Northwestern money line, parlayed with UCF money line. Hundred dollar bet will win you about three grand. So keep that in mind. So anyway, those are the money move picks: Texas plus seven and a half, and UCF minus three. Let's get that money. All right, now it's time for my NFL locks of the week. Had a good week last week. On the comeback, over 500 on the year. I'm now 10, 9, and 1. My two wins were the Bears, minus 4. Even with losing their starting quarterback, they still covered. At the Jags, minus 3. Uh, I knew I shouldn't have even said that. And I had the Pats, minus 10.5, who I know that line ended up moving to 13, but they won by 14 against the Jets, and that game was never really close. This week, I've got the red-hot Indianapolis Colts coming in hot to the ice-cold Jacksonville Jaguars, fresh off 
benching. Oh, switching it up here. Fresh off benching Blake Bortles, UCF legend Blake Bortles, and firing their offensive coordinator. This team's falling apart. They're getting in fights. So they lost the locker room. It, it's chaos. Anything that can go wrong has gone wrong in Jacksonville. The Colts are making a push for the wild card spot. And I mean, the Jags, these guys are just like, hey, I hope I get signed here again. You know, they're thinking about free agency in the offseason and stuff. They can't make the playoffs. They've lost seven games in a row. This team, they're just completely deflated. Colts minus three and a half should be easy money. What do you think? I'll agree. I watched that Colts-Dolphins game just because I had Colts. I'm still alive in my survivor pool. Hey, yep. Somehow, someway, Colts down 10 to the Dolphins in the fourth quarter coming back. And Adam Vinatieri with the game-winning field goal. Yeah, I mean, Colts are hot. I don't know what's up with Andrew Luck. Like, he sucked last year when he came back and... He didn't play last year. Oh, he didn't play last year? Well, he sucked at the beginning or he something. He started off slow, but, I mean, you know, okay. they were just kind of working. He hadn't thrown a football in over a year, so they were kind of dinking and dunking. His yards per attempt, I think, were about five in the first three games. Now he's up to eight or nine. So he's really starting to open up the field. Uh, they're opening up the playbook with that offense and really letting him sling the ball, and it's definitely shown Colts are hot. Take a minus three at the Jags. Free money. Let's go. All right, now it's time for questions, but we've got a new name for it. Uh, I came up with this myself, so no one gets a $10 Venmo, but thank thank you for all your submissions. yourself. All one of you that submitted something, appreciate it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We're going to call it the Monday Mailbag from now on. Not sure why it took me all season to think of this. So let's open up the tweet. All right, this question's from Golden Knight 2 with KZ out. What is your confidence level we can beat Memphis? Do you think we need to rely more on our offense or defense to pull out a victory? So the two-part question. The first part is what is your confidence level that we can beat Memphis? I think it's very high, and we've given you all of the facts, um, not opinions, facts on the reasons why we are going to beat Memphis uh, I think it's going to be a drubbing. What is it? 45-10? 38-10? Yeah. Yeah, 38-10. We'll take it. And, you know, it's a team sport, and we're going to have to rely on our offense and our defense. But, you know, they have to keep playing the way that they've been playing. As long as the defense plays the way we've played the last two games, you know, great. We're not going to have to rely on one or the other. But I think it's going to take, you know, a conscious effort from both sides of the ball to get the dub. And the fans being loud. This one's from UCF Fan 609. According to New Year's Six Bowl rules, the Group of Five spot is awarded to the Group of Five team inside the top 12 or the highest ranked Group of Five conference champion. If UCF loses a close game to Memphis at number seven, do you see the committee putting us at number 12 or allowing a two loss Mountain West team in? I, you know, I was kind of thinking about the possibility of this, but then you got to go back to the rules of the G5 NY6 Bowl. It's the highest rated G5 champion. So even if we were somehow ranked higher than Boise State, let's say, it doesn't matter because we didn't win the conference championship, which isn't going to happen. But hypothetically, if a team were to lose their conference championship and be ranked higher, they still wouldn't be eligible to make it. All right, last question from Tyler Homer. It's not really a question. <laughs> Jalen Hurts or Kelly Bryant sweepstakes? Question mark. Okay, so I think he's referring to, you know, well, obviously he's referring to Jalen Hurts, the former, or he's still on Alabama, and Kelly Bryant, the former Clemson quarterback, 
as possible grad transfers or senior transfers um, to come to UCF. I really don't think that's an option. Um, you know, some people were some people were considering it. For me, I see Mac as our future. Mac's a redshirt freshman, and you know this is his team. He hasn't shown any reason why he can't follow McKenzie. You know, depending on what whatever happens to McKenzie, I just really think that we don't need to get, you know, we don't need to get an upper class quarterback, and we need to stick with Mac. And this is Mac's team right now. I I agree. If we were to get some kind of transfer, whether it's the two guys mentioned or someone from another school, I wouldn't be opposed to it. Competition's always good. It makes everyone better. I don't think we need someone to come and compete with them, but I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. We are down to just two quarterbacks next year, him and Quadri. So we will need to get at least two more, whether that's transfers or you know some recruits. So we need something. I don't really care who, and I agree with you. I think Mac's perfectly capable of leading this team to some success in the future. All right. Thank you guys for the Monday mailbag. Really appreciate the submissions. And on top of that, really thank you guys for listening. You know, the season's coming down to an end, and I can't believe how much support we've got from everyone. I mean, whether it's just from your question submissions to leaving reviews on iTunes, which which thank you so much for subscribing and leaving reviews. And if you haven't already, please do. Or people just coming up to us at tailgates and saying they like the show. Yeah. It really means a lot to us. Like We put a lot of work into this. Never thought it would end up being somewhat popular, but it's really been so much fun You know, doing this with you, Money Moo. Who would imagine you know, we'd actually I, end up having somewhat... I didn't. Put I out- mean, me just like at the Navy game, before the Navy game, having the guts, because I'm kind of a shy guy, having the guts <laughs> to go up to Daryl Mack's parents and say that, hey, you know, we made this song about your son, and they just, like, went crazy. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. It's been a fun ride, and uh, we just, you Episode know. 15. Yeah, you know, w- somebody bet us so that we wouldn't get past, like, episode 5, yeah, I think. Yeah, Pav bet us. <laughs> Asshole. There's 15, baby. All right, anyway, so yeah, please subscribe and leave a review if you haven't already. It really helps with us getting more listens. All right, um... Let's just talk real quick. Like we're gonna reiterate, come out to the game, please. We need this more now this week than we did against Cincinnati. More than ever, tickets aren't that expensive. Show up and just be loud and get get lays. Um, I'm gonna buy a bunch to hand get, out. Get lays. You can. <laughs> I mean, everyone show up, get laid. They're they're not mutually <laughs> exclusive things. You can do both. Seriously, you can buy 100 on Amazon for like 30 bucks or you buy one for like $2 at Party City. But I think, you know, if we show up and everyone has those on, I mean, that'll just help the team rally together, like you said before, as a family even more, and just come out and really beat the pants off of Memphis, who's, you know, really got nothing left to play for besides just messing our season up. So, yeah, absolutely. And we are not going to let them take that away from us. Nope. So, yeah, show up, be loud, get laid. Go Knights. Charge on.